Hello, everyone. Tyler Swanson here, host of the Bipartisan Podcast and founder of the Bipartisan Post. Before we get started with this episode, I would like to say thank you for your support and for listening to the Bipartisan Podcast every week. We truly, truly appreciate it. We at the Bipartisan Post are committed to providing listeners with quality discussions that provide a unique perspective on divisive issues by showcasing the bipartisan lens. These times are some of the most divided in recent history, and we could use your support in spreading the message of bipartisanship throughout the country. To help us out, you can visit our Patreon, which is linked in the episode description and on the bipartisanpost.com. For just $3 a month, patrons will receive a shout out on the podcast, website, and will be given access to the Bipartisan Post Discord to chat with members of our team and other members of the community. You can donate just once or make it recurring to continue your support. Thanks again and enjoy the show. Lost in the whirlwind of Harvard Academia. This is the Bipartisan Podcast. The Eagle has landed. Hello, and welcome to the Bipartisan Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Swanson. I'm Nathan Deathloff. I'm Will Schrefferman. And Will, we are very glad to have you back. However, this week we are down short Luke. So we are continuing our short staff podcast, but it's hard when we're all, you know, a bunch of busy people. I'm just glad we're able to do an episode this week. And we have uh, basically one topic we're going to focus on, uh, and that is the COVID-19 relief package that was just uh, well, it's not officially been passed yet, but it is nearly guaranteed to pass, I believe. Um, and we are going to be dissecting that a little bit, talking about some of the interesting provisions within the bill. And then after a nice discussion on that, we're going to transition to a 20 to 20 year in review, where we'll talk about the news stories from across 2020 that we cannot forget. But starting off with this COVID relief bill, there is a lot. So I'm going to try to get through it in as efficient a way as possible. Congress finally passed a new relief package to ease the financial stress caused by COVID-19, with neither side getting all they want, but both sides still claiming wins. Notable aspects of the bill include $300 a week in benefits for individuals receiving state unemployment, uh, a $13 billion expansion to the food stamp program, $600 in direct stimulus uh, payments to all eligible citizens, sorry college students, you don't get anything, and a $25 billion uh, extension in rental assistance, as well as a extension on the CDC's eviction moratorium uh, through, I believe, January 31st. So that is going to be extended as well. For businesses, $284 billion uh, in the Paycheck Protection Program will be made in loans, $20 billion in grants for businesses in low-income communities, $15 billion for live entertainment venues, cultural institutions, and independent movie theaters. So uh, trying to keep those small businesses alive, essentially. Then we're also going to have $20 billion to purchase vaccines, $8 billion for the distribution of those vaccines, uh, $22 billion for testing, tracing, and mitigation of COVID-19, and an extra $3 billion for the strategic national stockpile. For schools, $82 billion for primary and secondary schools, $23 billion for colleges and universities, uh, I think it's 1.7 or 17, no, 1.7 billion for HBCUs, tribal colleges, and institutions primarily serving minorities. Finally, $15 billion to pay airline workers, $14 billion for mass transit programs, and $7 billion for broadband funding. So there is a lot of money in this package going to a lot of different places. And there's also some interesting things that you might not expect that we're going to talk about as well. Um, 
but there's a lot of money in the package. Um, Democrats are only calling this a down payment. They're not calling it the final solution or you know any uh, solution for the COVID-19 pandemic and the stimulus is gonna come. And Joe Biden said he's gonna pass more when he attends or not attends, but is inaugurated into office in January. Now that we have a bill that is nearly guaranteed to pass, is this just a down payment? Are we spending too much in some areas and not enough in others? I wanna hear from you guys. Uh, and Will, I wanna hear from you first. Yeah, I mean, for those who, you know, don't get up and read Politico every morning, I think a quick rewind of kind of how we got here and how much this has been dominating the news cycle with really not a lot happening, I think is worth worth devoting 30 seconds of me uh, blabbering about. Um, so basically, we passed, Congress passed the CARES Act back in March. That was the massive multi-trillion dollar relief package that included the first round of a lot of, the, of, a lot of this money um, and relief for all the economic fallout from the pandemic. I mean, it passed unanimously in the House Senate and signed by Tr President Trump. Um, and meanwhile, all of that money got used up, whether by state and local governments, whether by small businesses, airlines, whoever was receiving the money. Expanded unemployment all started to, you know, fall away as we moved to the new year. And, you know, there was, ex the, I think the House passed the HEROES Act, which was supposed to be the fault stimulus in May. And then, you know, there's been haggling ever since about what exactly should be in it, what shouldn't, what should, you know, what needs to be included. And basically how we got here is that there were two big sticking points that the Democrats and Republicans can agree, agree upon. There were a lot of smaller sticking points, but the two big ones that stood out were the Democrats wanted to expand hundreds of billions of dollars in support um, for state and local governments who've been obviously dealing a lot with COVID-19, dealing with vaccine distribution, et cetera. Um, Democrats wanted to bring this money to states who cannot, you know, who have to have balanced budgets unlike the federal government, um, but Republicans did not want to, you know, their argument, as I understood it, was they didn't want to bail out states that had, you know, quote, mismanaged their finances or what have you. Um, so that was a big sticking point where Democrats drew a red line and said, no, we can't have it this way. And then the big one for Republicans was business liability reform. Basically, the, the gist of it was that they thought that a business should not be able to be sued by an employee, employee or customer who, you know, was affected by COVID contracted COVID in that business and businesses should be able to have a liability shield from those, you know, from and protected from those kind of suits. Um, and they drew the red line and said, no, we're not, we're not going to budge on this. So, you know, rather than compromising or trying to work out either of those things, what ultimately happened over the last month was they decided, and they being, you know, the leadership of both parties in the House and Senate decided, you know, we're just not going to address these hundreds of billions of dollars in budget shortfalls in the states. We're not going to address this complicated liability question. We're just not going to mention it in the bill, and we're going to just pass a bill on everything else we agree on. Um, so yeah, like the very nature of this process was that there were two huge elements, not to mention a million small elements, and you know the size of those elements that were set aside um, just to get this 908 or whatever trillion dollar package this ended up being so anybody who thinks this is this is a an end result is kind of missed what got us here um there's still like the big issue there's still big issues to work out uh, and this is this is a long overdue down payment not just a down payment i would say yeah thanks bill and thanks for the recap too uh, i think the listeners definitely appreciate that and, and so do i uh nathan what do you think is coming next with this or what do you think about it 
Well, yeah, I think that Will did a perfect job summing it up. The um, the liability protection for businesses and the bailing out, uh, and I'm doing quote unquotes, um, of state legislators was really the pushing issue. Um, and then another big pushing issue that um, Will didn't mention is the fact that just the difference in the um, price points. I mean, um, the Senate was looking at a 1.1 trillion bill, approximately, possibly. Um, the House, I believe the HEROES Act was $3 trillion. And so uh, there was a huge disagreement over how much money we're actually going to spend on the COVID crisis. Um, and this is about an $800 billion bill. Um, so obviously, uh, it's clear to me that both sides think that it's a temporary thing. Um, it's kind of a stopgap measure of, hey, let's get this done, and then we can work on something down the line. We can work on more. Um, and so... Yeah, I mean, as, as far as as far as the bill's concerned, I think it's disgusting. I think it's terrible. Um, I think that it does what they want it to do. I think that it um, accomplishes some of the measures. But I, I mean, you can go back and listen to what I said in March. I mean, I'm decrying all the pork spending. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of the line item veto. Um, and I'm a huge fan of, you know, fiscal responsibility. And so um, I think that it really just shows how ineffective our Congress is. Um, at negotiating and how ineffective they are about getting along and how the partisanship has really, really been exacerbated, especially with this COVID crisis, because, I mean, most spending measures, we, we had we had a shutdown last year and a shutdown two years before that, I believe, you know, most spending measures don't get approved unless there's, you know, miles high of infrastructure spending or something that shouldn't go towards it. Um, and so, you know, I think that it got passed. I think that it's going to pass the Senate. I believe the House voted on it. Um, and so it's it's sadly the way that our government is functioning today. We're spending money we don't have on things that the majority of the people won't benefit from. And even if they don't benefit from it, someone is. That's why it's in the bill. Um, and so, you know, I'd like everybody just take take a glimpse. It's a it's a five uh, fifty six hundred page document. No one's read it um, except for the the writer who wrote the small portion that they were in charge of. Um, and so just just really hold hold your elected officials accountable, read it, figure out kind of what's going on because absolutely arming yourself with with the knowledge of the process and arming yourself with the knowledge of what's in the bill is going to help you to um, determine whether or not this is what you as an American um, are happy with. So, you know, whether or not you need to call your congressional office and ask for another stimulus package or you need to you know, hold your elected official accountable at the ballot box. Um, regardless of that, I think that really just digging into this bill and digging into the whole process, the whole, the partisanship, which has caused it in the pandemic, which um, exacerbated it, I think is a great idea for everybody listening. Yeah, Nathan, I think you, you uh, made a really good point there. There is definitely a lot of work spending, a lot of unnecessary spending in this bill, of course, Whenever you have a bill that is over, I would say, you know, a thousand pages long, we have a bill that's 5,600 pages long, uh, you're definitely going to have a lot of unnecessary chaff in there. And if anybody is able to go through and read all the things that are in it and, uh, you know, make sense of it, fantastic, good for you. But I think the absolute sheer size of it uh, just speaks to uh, the the amount of, you know, compromise and the pork spending that went into this bill. And I, I think you make a point that, yeah, it is kind of the inability of both sides to really make meaningful compromise when it basically just means, you know, give me a little bit of this and then you can have what you want. 
um, I think, Will, you, you said earlier before we started recording was that we're going to be, you know, 10 years down the line and we're going to find out, oh, wow, the, uh, the COVID spending package funded this as well. You know, um, there's, there's a lot of money here that we are probably not going to uh, know got directed until years down the line when we see the actual effects of it. Uh, that being said, the, the bill itself, um, you know, looking at the actual things that it does that are guaranteed um, to help with COVID, such as the unemployment benefits, uh, the direct stimulus payments, I don't think it's terrible. Uh, it's, of course, definitely not what's needed. Uh, $300 extra a week for people who are unemployed and getting those benefits is very important and very well needed. I think too many people, far too many people, are focusing on the direct stimulus payments when there is a lot of other good financial aid in this package, uh, namely the unemployment benefits. Those are that's money going weekly to people who really need it. Uh, while direct stimulus payments, you know, it's good when uh, there is uh, money to be spent. It's good for people who have jobs right now and might need help paying off, you know, that extra credit card bill that comes with uh, the Christmas season. Um, but really, I think if you were going to do stimulus payments, that's something you want to wait. Uh, to do until we're just about out of this crisis, you know, uh, that that's kind of what I'm thinking is, you know, if you were going to do a stimulus payment, wait until, you know, restaurants and bars can open up and then give everybody a thousand bucks to go on a shopping spree for a weekend or two and, you know, get our economy really back to normal. Right now, doing a direct stimulus payment when you can't go out to eat, when you can't go out to go bowling or, you know, when you're shopping, you can't go to a full pack store. It just, it, it doesn't make too much sense to me. I think we should just be focusing more on the on the unemployment benefits. I personally would have traded uh, the direct stimulus payments for a little bit more in unemployment benefits. But I wonder, do you guys have any opinions on that? Yeah, I think that the direct stimulus, I think that that's something that um, a lot of the elected officials on both sides look at and say, that's something that's tangible to every single American that's going to receive that. Um, unemployment benefits, um, you know, a lot of people are are unemployed, but I think that even more importantly to note, there's a lot of people that are underemployed, people with degrees or people with um, a lot of experience working minimum wage jobs to make ends meet, and that's not going to help them if you expand unemployment benefits. And so I think that that's probably why the stimulus was more focused on, but um, absolutely, I think that uh, you fund one or you fund the other or you fund them both but I think that you really need to focus on one. So I definitely agree with uh, you on that, Tyler, as far as unemployment probably should be boistered a bit. Thanks, Nathan. Will, what do you think? Uh, I'm realizing that I was muted. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would honestly, I would, I would say that targeted Nathan Nathan you're kind of right to point out the fact that the the appeal of the $600 check is not necessarily the great effects that having getting $600 you know over the course of the last 8 months since March of economic hardship the country has received $600 in your pocket when you've lost thousands of dollars because you're under or unemployed and you know 
unable to pay your rent, unable to keep up on bills, standing in food lines, and then you get a $600 check. You know, it's clearly not designed to be the booster to the economy. You're right that a lot of the motivation is, you know, put something in everybody's pocket that looks politically good. But I, I don't know. I'm just of the opinion that targeted relief, like you were saying, Tyler, that's, you know, higher unemployment, more expansions to SNAP benefits, you know, expanding existing welfare to those who need it is generally just more effective than a tiny bit of stimulus that gets spread very thin across a lot of people. Yeah. Um, great discussion on that topic. Of course, this COVID bill um, is likely to be, you know, not the last bit of COVID stimulus, COVID relief we get. I expect we'll probably be talking about a new form of COVID stimulus and, you know, a few weeks to a month when the Biden administration takes office and uh, these talks start up again, because you're definitely not out of the woods yet, despite the vaccine being distributed. And I would expect, you know, one or maybe even two more relief packages before we are completely done with this uh, COVID-19 economic crisis and uh, just public health crisis as well. Uh, that being said, I, I do one, want to move one on. Final comment, one oh, final sure, comment on the bill, if I, if I may. Um, I also meant to say this earlier after Nathan made a point, but I, I was unfortunately muted because I am a fool. Um, but I think it's it's very easy to point out kind of like the the strange line items. And I think, Nathan, you're totally right. I think I was reading tweets and statements from a bunch of members of Congress that agree with you that kind of the, the legislative process that gets us a bill like this is broken, doesn't work out for the American people, doesn't work out for legislators who can't read the damn thing. Um, but I mean, the nature of a big omnibus type bill like this is that you sometimes get good things that are in there too you know there was actually there was a bipartisan compromise on increasing access to broadband which has been a big issue for you know under underserved or you know rural communities during the pandemic um there were four billion dollars allocated to gavi which is like a global alliance to equitably distribute the covid vaccine um there was a compromise made to extend renewable tax credits for solar and offshore wind energy um, there's a bipartisan compromise on relief for people who receive steep surprise medical bills. Um, so, I mean, you know, for every funding the Kennedy Center or decriminalizing the display of the Swiss coat of arms, or that was actually in there, you know, every little one of those, I think, you know, it, if I could be slightly glass half full, there were some compromises that were wedged into this 6,000 page behemoth of a, of a document as well. Yeah, I think you make a good point there that, of course, there can be, there can definitely be good things uh, in a bill this big. But I think the fact that the bill is so big is still notable to, to add as well, you know, of course, this COVID package is part of a larger omnibus spending bill. Um, I, I don't know, I, I would like to see just a one, you know, maybe a 100 page at most COVID bill, just focused on that rather than a huge omnibus bill. But nonetheless, like you said, I'm, I'm very happy, very pleased about the renewable uh, energy tax credits and, and, you know, those sorts of things. But uh, Nathan, do you have any response for, for Will's statement here? Well, and I'll be the glass half empty for a moment. Well, you know, I think that those are big compromises. And I think those are things that in the end of at the end of the day, I think will be, you know, effective or do what they're meant to be. But I don't think that it's the individual members of Congress who are trying to come to that bipartisanship. I, I genuinely don't think that they realize that that's in there. Um, probably until they get their talking points from uh, Senator House leadership. Um, you know, I think that that those are things that 
or almost a necessary evil for Congress to pass. Like, hey, we have to do some good stuff while we're getting this funds to X, Y, and Z. We have to do some good stuff while we're getting this coronavirus, you know, while we're trying to get this negotiation through to, to kind of distract from the fact that we didn't solve the issue and we're going to have to do another $1.5 trillion stimulus package to end the day with anyway. And so, well, yes, I definitely agree that there are good things that are done. I would still like to definitely rail on how much I dislike this bill. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yes, we will revisit this topic again in the coming weeks. Um, but I do want to move on to our second topic, which I think will be interesting. Um, and that's going to be kind of a, a year in review for 2020. So as we all know, for listeners and for us as hosts, this year, 2020 has seemed to really kind of last forever. We started with, uh, you know, Australia basically being on fire. Uh, we nearly had an American-Iranian war when we uh, assassinated an Iranian uh, general. Uh, we have witnessed the worst pandemic in a century, the worst economic downturn uh, in over a decade, and, and then some. And we've also seen some of the biggest protests around civil rights in decades. It's been a landmark year uh, here in 2020, and there's going to be a lot of things that we will have a hard time uh, forgetting. And I think things that, especially us as you know, uh, college students, will really carry with us for the rest of our lives. So with all that's happened, I'm going to ask you guys about one particular news story that you're gonna carry with you uh, for years or for the rest of your life, one from 2020 that you won't forget. And uh, to give you guys some time to think, I'll go ahead and give mine first. So the one news story, or I guess like news cycle that I will not forget from this entire year uh, and will probably carry with me forever because it's been so life-changing is uh, the uh, time in March, beginning of March, where uh, it, colleges across the country started to announce they were going to close. I remember being on campus at U of I, you know, being very excited to watch March Madness, being very excited about my, uh, you know, spring semester classes and just happy to spend time with my roommates and my friends. And then seeing that, oh, you know, Ohio State's closing. Oh, Purdue is closing. Oh, this is happening. And then I was called into a meeting for the Illinois student government. And we were told that our university was going to be closing. And we were going to be told to all go home. Uh, and this was, you know, just the beginning of what became months and months of, you know, staying inside and wearing masks and all that. Um, but yeah, that moment of, you know, being told my whole life's going to have to be put on hold, uh, you know, for at least a couple months was definitely something that I will carry on with me for the rest of your life. And I don't know if you guys have something similar or something wildly different, uh, but I'd love to hear it. And uh, Will, I'm going to ask you to go first. Yeah, I like I like yours, Tyler. For me, I would actually I'm going to build off of yours a little bit, um, because I think I think in March it was seen COVID at least, and you know all of those massive shifts that were happening in all of our lives. I think that was seen as a correct me if I'm wrong. I've talked to a lot of people about this. Um, but that was seen as a little bit like of a, of a short-term, you know, a temporary reality. You know, quarantine would last for a couple weeks, and I don't know if it was naivete or denial or what. Um, but you know, I honestly, in March, when I was even when I was kicked off of campus, similar to yourself, I did not expect that it would be potentially more than 18 months until I would, you know, set foot back in an in, in-person learning environment again. Um, and I certainly. 
I did. I really didn't expect, you know, nine months later to be in a world where the pandemic is infinitely worse um, and society, or at least American society, still really hasn't learned to, to deal with it. Um, so for me, it's less a specific story and more, you know, some point between March, what you were describing, Tyler, and now, the reality that this is a long, both a long-term disruption and, you know, put a real inflection point in world history. You know, there's, I don't know if there's a point when that sunk in, but, you know, at some point it did. Um, so I think, you know, the big, the big thing I'm going to consider this year to have been is an inflection point. And hopefully, I just, I hope, I truly believe it's one for the better, um, whether that's, you know, taking the, the economic downturn that we've seen from COVID and realizing that, as, as we were describing, it's flawed, but the federal government has the power to act when in a crisis to take bold action to boost the economy, to help workers, um, to help small businesses. It's possible. You know, we saw that that kind of bold action is possible. That's the kind of stuff you usually read about in a history book. Um, you know, whether it's on the on the issue of race, you saw the entire country rise up to protest, you know, the murder of, of George Floyd. You saw a lot of unity and did that translate into policy action? No. But is that a step in the right direction? Yes. Um, and, you know, whether that's on the idea of building back better from COVID, of building a world in the future that is, you know, more disease and pandemic proof that is more aligned towards a future where we face the realities of climate change or, or you know what have you at some point between what you were describing Tyler and now you know I kind of sunk in that this is a long-term disruption but there's strong potential for you know there to be long-term changes that endure and stick with us um, and you know I hope looking back on this year you know you kind of realize that there were a lot of things before COVID that didn't really work or weren't really going that well. And then, you know, in that after COVID world, whatever that looks like 20 years from now, hopefully, I mean, it's my sincere hope that we'll look back and say, you know, that was a point when we shifted, we turned towards the better, even if we didn't reach it quite then. Um, that's not really an answer to your question, but that would be, that's what your answer is kind of making me think of. No, I think that's very well said. Uh, I, I don't think I could have said it better myself, just, uh, you know, fully encapsulating how much COVID has affected our lives and hopefully changed them for the better. Thank you, Will. Uh, Nathan, what is yours? Yeah, so much like Will, I don't have necessarily a particular news story, although I will probably not articulate it as well as Will. Um, but I, I definitely think that that was really surprising, Tyler. Um, whenever we got kicked out of college, I remember... Um, we, I actually talked to my university president the, the Tuesday before um, spring break hit. And he said, yeah, he said, the chances are we're probably going to be shut down for two weeks after spring break and then we'll come back. I mean, never in, a, never in a million years would I have thought that they were going to cancel the entire semester, you know, give us part of our money back and say, go home, finish up online. Um, but I think that probably one of the bigger things for me was uh, coming back for the fall semester. I know Will took a gap year, and a lot of a lot of folks I know did, um, but it was surprising, and it was a huge change. Just you know, not seeing any of my teachers, being like, "Oh my goodness, I have one thing that's in person on campus during the entire week, and the rest of it is all online, all remote." Um, and so, just you know, showing up to the Zoom meetings and trying to make those connections online, it was something that was 
very weird. And I think that everyone, um, whether it's with your work or with your school, um, has had some instance of that. And the thing that surprised me most is how successful we've been. We've been able to make connections um, that are that are meaningful. We've been able to, you know, learn material that, uh, even though a lot of people like to say it probably wasn't effective, it probably wasn't as effective as it could be. Um, but we've been able to, you know, overcome essentially the fact that you know there's this global pandemic going on. Um, we've been able to make the most of it, out of it, and so that's something that I've really, really been impressed with. Um, that's something that I'm going to take with me. Um, and I'm going to be thankful for all the stupid in-person meetings and classes that I have to go to um, for the rest of my life, because I know that there's very real possibility um, that, or there was a very real time in which those things weren't possible. Um, another thing that I probably, that I, that I do think is really impactful, it isn't necessarily a new story, um, but just the amount of political involvement um, and the interest in government and the interest in um, kind of our our na national and world and local leadership um, that people have taken. I think that every single presidential election year, people get interested in politics, and you know, people uh, us who are who are pr pretty politically minded end up talking to a lot of people about a lot of things whenever they ask us questions. Um, but I think that a lot of people have taken initiative. I mean, they've taken initiative to learn to learn more than just you know the candidates' names. I like them. I don't like them. Um, Yes, a lot with BLM as far as, you know, individual police tactics or individual um, law enforcement things. And even to COVID where we're talking about spending bills. I think that the individual American is genuinely interested and wants to know more about how their government works and how they're governed and who their representatives are. And so that's something that I'm very encouraged by. Um, and it's something that I hope continues on. Um, you know, I think that it's 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 the it's the people's job to hold to hold their elected officials accountable, and it's every one of our jobs as American citizens to understand the system and uphold the system to make sure that the system continues on. Because, um, like it or not, I believe that our our republic is the best functioning government in the uh, probably in history, um, definitely currently, and I think that um, it's something that we should um, aspire to keep up, and something that we need to maintain every single day and so just to see everyone in this time of COVID and this time of you know really hardship to bunker down and say hey I want to be I want to know what the president's doing I want to know what my member of congress is doing um, to solve this to help this to make this better um, I've been really encouraged by that and I hope to see it continue even after 2020 and beyond here here on the civic engagement whether yes. yeah I think you're there's a million ways that that's true but see, Nathan, the, the glass is half full sometimes. <laughs> I think you guys both uh, put your statements so well. And, you you know, you also said that it wasn't exactly a news story. But, you know, when you look at it from, from the, the broader lens, uh, it's really actually history more than anything uh, that you both mentioned and that we've all mentioned and talked about. Uh, this year is going to never be forgotten. It is one that will um, be seen, I think, years from now as a huge uh, changing point and turning point for society. Uh, and the level of civ uh, civic engagement is, you know, of course, that has uh, changed drastically and hopefully it continues to stay up as it has this year. And everything that has gone on uh, has been, you know, extremely challenging for all of us. It's not been an easy year for anybody, but it is, I think, made us all better and stronger people as a result at the end. 
um, and for the bipartisan post as well. You know, I I know that uh, I as the you know the organizer and you know head of this you know group that we have uh, in terms of organizing the podcast and putting the things on the website. I could not be more grateful for the support that we've seen from you know people coming in, uh, reading our articles and sharing them around this year and uh, helping amplify the voice of the bipartisan post to kind of share this uh, this message with you um, in a very politically divisive time and a very challenging time for many. It's uh, truly been a year that we will never forget. And I wanted to uh, cover this topic since we probably will not record next week since it's going to be the holiday, you know, kind of weird time. And then I'm sure we'll be back early 2021. So thank you to those listening. Thank you for uh, coming back every single week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you share it with friends and uh, continue to spread a message of uh, good civic engagement and bipartisanship. And we will see you in our next episode. Have a great weekend.